How's it going? Great to see you. And hey, let me say, those of you that are bra- you're braving the rain, I honor you today for saying, I don't care if I get a little wet, I want to come and worship, hear God's word, that's what it's all about. Let me read you something. Um, I came across this today. This is in Isaiah chapter 25. It says this. It says, Therefore the strong people will glorify you. The city of the terrible nations will fear you. For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, and you have been a refuge from the storm. That's our God. That's our God. So we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. Uh, my wife and I, a few years ago, we went on a cruise and we, it's, you know, the saints cruise, you know, you go to like San Juan, you go to St. Thomas, you hit all the saints. And uh, so we were there, we spent, uh, I forgot what island it was, but then we decided to take a ferry to St. John, because we heard that that's where like the best snorkeling in the world is. So we decided to go there, we were with some friends. So while Carrie got us settled on the beach, um, I went and got all the snorkeling gear. I don't know if you've ever been snorkeling, but you need like 800 items to go snorkeling. So... And then I had to get it for two people. So I'm getting all the snorkeling gear. And then I smelled this smell. Um, and it was, it, was, it was amazing. It was like right across from where I was getting all the snorkeling gear, there was this other little like cabana that was, they had this like little window. And they were selling freshly made crinkle cut french fries. I don't know if you love freshly crinkled cut french fries as much as I do. I know God loves me when I bite into a freshly cut crinkle, cr- uh, cut french fry. And uh, now the smell of freshly made fries is hypnotic, as you know. Uh, so I'm sure there's a study that proves that. And um, so I had my snorkeling gear and I thought, I'm going to stop and get some fries because smelling these fries would make me hungry. So uh, I grabbed, you know, all the stuff, the goggles, the flippers, the little breathing tube that makes you sound like Darth Vader. And, um, and then I got the fries and I'd put my toppings on it. And then I'm kind of like carrying all this stuff and I got the fries up. And that's when I was nearly killed. Right then, um, local birds started to attack me because I had the fries like up like this. And, uh, I mean, they, there must have been like 50, 60 birds going after me at that moment. And uh, so I did what any manly man does. I just threw the fries up in the air and just ran like a little girl. Um, because the thing is, is that I, these birds, I was bleeding. I mean, these birds, like, they started attacking me. So I started running. And I was like, I'm hit. I'm hit. And so, you know, my wife hears me, ah, she hears me yelling and crying. And so I run over and I'm like, I'm hit. I'm hit. And so she looks, and I'm like, this is the blood, and it turns out to be ketchup, but that's not the point. Um, and, and it really was the ketchup I had put on my fries, the, the, the birds had just gone crazy. But I did realize that people were right, eating french fries will kill you. Uh, it was messed up. But, you know, hunger makes you do crazy things. Um, craving, like when you're hungry and you're craving something, that will make you do crazy things. When, uh, I have three kids. And so when my wife was pregnant with each of our three kids, she had different cravings for each of them. Uh, with my oldest daughter, Mia, um, she, all she wanted was red meat and rare red meat. And so it was like all we ate was like burgers, steaks, that's it. Uh, when she, was pre- she got pregnant with my son, Alexander, um, I thought I'm going to stock up on the meat so just to be ready. And she thought meat, she was totally grossed out by meat during the second pregnancy, and all she wanted was junk food. Uh, She wanted cookies, she wanted cake, she wanted chocolate, but now that I'm thinking, maybe I'm pregnant. Um, And uh, (laughs) she wanted all of that, that's what she she wanted, all of that stuff, and um, 
What's interesting is, is that of all of that, my son is like the healthiest two-and-a-half-year-old eater uh, in the world. I mean, like, he, he loves, like, vegetables, and uh, he, he doesn't really like junk food. Not, like, are you my son? Uh, anyway, um, now with our third and final child, um, uh, Olivia, when she was pregnant with Olivia, um, it was nine months, all Carrie wanted was Mexican food. I mean, all she wanted was Mexican food. I was pretty, I was pretty sure the baby was going to come out Mexican. Um, uh, you know, because, I mean, uh, listen, nine months. Do you have any idea how many tacos I ate in nine months? I have had enough chimichangas to last an entire lifetime just in that, in that one year. If that thing from, if that Dorito taco had been out, forget it. I'm going to stop by one of these days and hit one of those. I haven't been to Taco Bell in years, but uh, I, I, that thing does look awesome. That has nothing to do with the message. I just wanted to just come out and say that. Um, but listen, that's what cravings will do. They give us a desire, a hunger, a thirst for something, and only that thing will satisfy and no substitute will do. Now, if you've been tracking with us the last few weeks, or maybe it's your first week here, however that works uh, for you, let me just ke- catch you up to speed and kind of remind you, if, if you've been here, um, Jesus has been talking to a group of people that are following him because that group of people wants to know the same thing uh, back then that we want to know right now. And that is, uh, how do you make life work? How can you be happy? And what happened was is that now Jesus gives them his most famous sermon at that time. He's on a hillside there in Israel. He gives them his most famous sermon, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he opens the Sermon on the Mount with a teaching on how to be happy. He gives us eight contrarian statements on how to be blessed, how to find happiness, and how to really live the life uh, that we've been looking for all of our lives. And the oddity of this whole thing, of how he begins the sermon, is that it's very, very, the statements that Jesus gives are the opposite of what we would think would make us happy. And so just to give you, this is the fourth one, the one that we're going to be looking at today, I put it in your notes. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And listen, we think that it's only when we satisfy the craving or the hunger or the thirst that we're happy. But Jesus says that it's actually the hunger itself. It's the thirst itself that, that causes us to be blessed. But it's not just a hunger or a thirst for anything. It's a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, what is that? A hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, literally, in, in, in the Hebrew understanding of that, is right conduct in relationship to God and man. You see, when I hunger for things to be right between me and God, I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. When I hunger for things to be right between me and my neighbor, whoever that might be, I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. When I'm hungering for me to do the right thing, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. When I hunger to, to obey God no matter what, I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. When I'm really seeking and hungering to be the kind of man that God wants me to be. I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And when we hunger and thirst for those things, here's what Jesus would say to us. Hey, man, you're blessed because you are going to be filled and satisfied. Listen to what the Bible says. Isaiah would put it this way. He says, so everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Now, I want to 
really illustrate this idea of hungering and thirsting for righteousness and the idea of being filled. And I want to illustrate it by telling you a story in the life of Jesus, uh, something that happened uh, about maybe two years after Jesus gives this statement of uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. And so there's a, about two years later, this happens every year, but there's a feast in Israel called Sukkot. Uh, Sukkot, S-U-K-K-O-T. Uh, that's a Hebrew term. It also could, it could be, tra- in, in English it's tra- translated uh, tabernacles. And so there's this feast called tabernacles in Israel every year. It's an eight-day feast commemorating when the children of Israel left Egypt and were on their way to the land of promise. And so there's 40 years that they spent living in tents, living in these booths and these tabernacles. And so uh, it, the people of Israel would actually leave their homes and basically move into their backyards. They would build one of these tents, one of these tabernacles, and live there for th- uh, this eight-day feast. But one of the things, those who lived close to Jerusalem, they would go to, um, they would go to Jerusalem to the temple to celebrate a part of, of the feast. Because one of the miracles that happened in the time that they were in the wilderness, the children of Israel, is that the people were thirsty. And so God says to Moses, I want you to go to this rock, strike the rock with your staff, and water is going to come, come forth, and it's going to satisfy the thirst of all the people. And so Moses does, he takes the staff, he strikes the rock, water gushes forth, and it satisfies the thirst of all the people. And so what the priests would do in the temple to commemorate this fact is that they would go from Jerusalem, they would go down south just a ways, and they would go to this pool that's called the Pool of Siloam. And in the Pool of Siloam, they would take, uh, on their way, they they would take these vessels, these these pots, and they would fill the water, fill the thing with, uh, fill their uh, vessel with water, and then in procession they would march back to Jerusalem, and then they would pour the water on the altar. And everyone would be quiet as they poured the water on the altar, reminding everyone of how the water came from the rock when they were in the wilderness, and then God provided for all the people. And so they would do this for seven days. This was such a popular thing that there's all this evidence, um, not, um, archaeologically and through writings, that they actually created these souvenir um, you know, clay vessels that looked, were smaller versions of what the priests would use to commemorate this idea. So they would have it in their homes and they would always remember, this reminds us of the Pool of Siloam and that feast that, that God would quench our thirst and all of that. But on the eighth day, the last day, what was called the great day of the feast, they would do something different. Instead, what they would do is the priests would get their vessel, they'd march down to the Pool of Siloam, and they would act as though they were filling it with water, but they weren't. So they would act as though they're filling it. The water is totally empty. Then they would march in procession back to the temple. They would go to the altar, and then they would make it seem like they were pouring the water, but nothing was really taking place. They were just, um, and then what they would do is there would be total silence. Then they would act as though they were pouring to commemorate this idea that now they were no longer in the wilderness, but God had brought them into the land of promise. And as God had brought them into the land of promise, there was no need for water to come from a rock because now God had given them a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And as the empty vessels were being poured, one of the priests would read Isaiah chapter 44, and here's what it says. It says, For I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants, and my blessing on your offspring. And there'd be this great silence that would come over the people after that was read. And then 
they were instructed at that time, and this was part of it, then after that, they would read the passage, and then everyone would be totally silent, and they would pray for the Messiah to come. And it's during that silence, when everyone is praying, God, send the Messiah, send the Christ, send this anointed one to to come. It's during that silence that Jesus stands up, and he says these words. It says, on the last day, The great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You can imagine just the the shock of people saying, Oh, Lord, send the Messiah, send this one. And then Jesus stands up and he says, If anybody's thirsty, come to me and drink. And out of your innermost being, rivers of living water will come forth. And what Jesus does in these couple of words that he shares is that he shows us three truths about hungering and thirsting for righteousness and being filled as God wants us to be filled. And there's three things that I want to show you uh, about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And if you're taking note, you'll see it there. Here's the first one that I want to show you is that there must be a recognition of need. A recognition of need. Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, I, I mean, you don't want, right, most of us don't drink something unless... We're thirsty. You've got to recognize that you have that need. But what we do many times, listen, especially in, in spiritually, is that we try to mask the need. We try to reclassify the need or downplay the need. Um, or we just kind of, you know, do like smoke and mirrors to make it seem like we don't have the real need that we have. Uh, I was, uh, this past week I spoke at a conference, so I, was, uh, I, was, I went to Banana Republic to buy a shirt because uh, I was going to be... Uh, speaking to a bunch of people this week, and I said, well, let me see if I can, you know, not look like a slob. So I go to Banana Republic, and I'm looking around, and I noticed something this week that I'd never noticed before. The first thing I noticed was, is that when you're in the showroom where they're showing you all the the clothes, it is really, really well lit. But then you pick out whatever clothes you want, and you go into the dressing room, and the dressing room is really poorly lit. Um, Like, it's very soft lighting, and you can't really even tell how you look in the clothes. But So I go to the, uh, I pick out some clothes, and I go to the dressing room, and uh, and, and I try on this shirt, and and I'm like, man, I look so hot right now. I I, I thought that. I'm like, I look so hot. And um, and I I turn, I'm like, wow, I'm really impressed. And and then I tell Carrie, I go home, and uh, I, 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 (laughs) I go, I try on the shirt at home, and I look at myself in the mirror, and I look like a complete idiot. And I'm like, what happened? You know, and it's all lighting. It's all lighting. Now, if I could walk around with my own lighting crew all the time, I would look awesome. Um, but, you know, so anyway, the shirt's got to go back. Um, but this is what happens. We ignore the need rather than recognize the need. And this is, instead of dealing with the hunger and thirst that we have, we just change the lighting. Um, you know, so someone, you know, someone maybe will confront us about our need to get some help about something. And we'll say, yeah, you know, I need help, but I'm not as bad as that guy, so I'm probably okay. Or maybe you have a girlfriend, uh, ladies, and you say, listen, why are you marrying him? And she'll say, you know, sure, he doesn't have a job. Sure, he treats me bad. Sure, he plays videos, video games all day, but you should meet his brother. He's a real loser. And it's like, how about you just don't marry into that family and just, like, move on? Um, But what are we doing? Listen, here's what we're doing. We're masking the real need. The real need, our thirst for God. Because everyone, every single one of us was created with a need for God. And sometimes what we'll do is we will mask that need and try to fill that need with everything else that can't satisfy. 
You ever have this thing, like maybe you're out playing basketball with some friends, or you're out running or something, and then you, you, you come back, and, and someone, you say, oh man, I'm so thirsty, and say, so, oh great, would, would you like a hot chocolate? No. Oh, well, okay, would you like, like maybe grape juice? No. Uh, oh, how about some warm tea? No, I want water, that's it, right? Because it's the only thing that's going to satisfy. Here's what the Bible says. Uh, God says this in, in Jeremiah chapter 2. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. This is what happened in Israel's history. They had forsaken God, and instead what they did was that they started chasing after idols. And the idols never satisfied, but they just kept pressing in harder to the idols because they had forsaken God, who was the only one who could really satisfy their need. And listen, we do the same thing. We give it different names, but it's essentially the same thing. And we try to, we simply worship these gods that, that Israel had ran, uh, ran after instead of worshiping the true and living God. Let me introduce you to three of them if I can. The first one is a god named Baal. Baal was the god of power and intellect. Uh, in fact, here's a picture of Baal. Um, and this is a small statuette. Uh, this is what I saw about 10 years ago when I was in Israel. They did a whole Canaanite exhibit which, uh, I mean, I was so excited, you know, I mean, because when you're a Bible teacher and like a nerd, uh, you're just so excited about a Canaanite exhibit. Um, and so, but I was there and they were show, doing this Canaanite exhibit and they had uh, statues of Baal of all different sizes that they had excavated. Now you'll see that Baal has one arm up um, and that referred, usually in the larger statues of Baal, that has a, a lightning bolt. Because he would be the one, you know, that, the, this lightning represented Baal's power. And um, he was said to have tremendous power and offered his power to those who worshipped him. How did they worship Baal? They worshipped Baal by cutting themselves. And uh, the more committed they were to Baal, the greater instruments they would use to cut themselves and the deeper the cuts that they would make. If you're familiar with the story in 1 Kings 18, when Elijah and uh, had this showdown with the 450 prophets of Baal. They, they, he said, listen, how long will you, um, fall, you know, go between two opinions? If God is God, worship him. If Baal is God, we should worship him. So let's do this. Let's set up an offering, and then we'll pray, and whoever answers by fire first, that's the real God. And so he says, well, you know, Baal, we'll let you, uh, you know, we'll let you hit leadoff. And uh, you can go first. And th- the prophets of Baal are thinking, this is, our, I mean, this is our, our wheelhouse. I mean, answering by fire, lightning bolt on the offering, causing a fire, this is what Baal does. So Elijah sets it up. So, I mean, if, if Baal is really God, this should be an easy thing. And so what happens? Uh, I, I put it in your notes. Look at what it says. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called in the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made, so they shouted louder, and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. Listen, this is how people try to replace their need for God with power. And so what they do is that they worship their position of power. That becomes their God, this position of power that they have. But then the company downsizes or the company collapses or somehow you're no longer in that position and your life is in shambles because the God that we worshiped has failed us somehow. 
That's one god. Let me introduce you to the second god they worship. This is the god, the goddess Ashtoreth. Ashtoreth was the goddess of pleasure and sensuality. And uh, she was depicted, and we have a picture, as this multi-breasted deity, um, which, to me, that's messed up, but, um, you know, any more than two seems unnecessary. Um, did I just say that out loud? Um, <laughs> don't say that again. Um, but, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, but here's, here's uh, Diana... Um, Ashtoreth went by several different names and cultures. Uh, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, in chapter 18 of Acts, when they're talking about, uh, or chapter 19 of Acts, when they, um, they say, great is Diana of the Ephesians, that's this is the same Ashtoreth. The Greeks called her Diana. The Romans called her Venus or Aphrodite. The Assyrians called her Semiramis. The uh, Egyptians called her Isis. The Babylonians called her Ashtarte. Um, in, in India, even as far as India, uh, she was called Devaki. And, uh, so, but this is, this is the, the, you worship this god. This was the god of, of pleasure, sensuality. Um, but here, here's the thing. You say, do people really worship this god? Yes, they do. Even today. Do you know why some men make it their life goal to sleep with as many different women as possible? It has very little to do with sex. They think it has something to do with sex, but it has very little to do with sex. It has, it has everything to do with his need to feel like a man because no one has ever taught him what it means to be a man. And so he's decided that this is his validation, and culture has decided that this is his validation. But what he doesn't realize is that he, th- this man is someone who's created in God's image. And so because he's created in God's image, he has, wor- he has worth and value. But he has forsaken God, and he's decided to worship a different God. And that God teaches him, this worship of Ashtoreth teaches him, that the only way he has value or worth is if he can get a bunch of women to agree to sleep with him. See, the Bible would tell us something very, very different. It would say this, it says, Run from sexual sin. For no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourselves. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. You see, there's lots of, lots of people worshiping this God. And th- these are old numbers. This is from 2006. In 2006, over $13 billion was spent in pornography in the U.S. alone. And, there's that, and that's not even globally. If we add this globally, that's, it was more money than was spent, uh, than was brought in in all four major sports. Uh, and, and, it's this, and, and what is, the question is, what is everyone chasing? They think it's sex, but it's so much deeper than that. They're chasing worth, value, meaning, beauty. All things that our God gives to us freely because we are created in his image. But when we... reject, forsake the fountain of living water, and we go after a God that's this, and God pictures it like a broken vessel that can't hold any water, we find ourselves still continuing to thirst. The third God, the third of the major gods that Israel would have left the true God to go worship was a God named Molech. Molech was the God of prosperity and money. Here's a picture of Molech. Um, There's uh, pictures of Molech like this with his arms uh, up, there's pictures of Molech with his arms out. Uh, the way that Molech was 
worshipped, because you wanted to prosper financially, you would worship uh, Molech through child sacrifice. And so they would go to this special place called the Valley of Trophet, uh, T-R-O-P-H-E-T. And the Valley of Trophet, the Trophet is a Hebrew word that means drumming. It was the Valley of Drumming. And so they would uh, offer their children on the white-hot arms of Molech, and then the drums would drown out the screams. And uh, in fact, this is what God says in Leviticus 18, is the children of Israel are going to go into this land where there are people who worship Molech. And here's what he says, Do not permit any of your children to be offered as a sacrifice to Molech, for you must not bring shame to the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. And you say, come on, people don't worship Molech today. People don't sacrifice their kids. I mean, that's, that's so barbaric. Do you know that since abortion was made legal in 1973, over 55 million children have been sacrificed, if we could use the term? Do you know where the most dangerous place to live in America is? It's not South Central L.A. It's your mother's womb because you have no rights there. And listen, the point of, the point of it all is this is that every time we leave the true and living God and we go after another God, it never satisfies. And we, just try, and we go after it harder and harder, and here's what will happen. It, they, these false gods, these idols demand so much and bring nothing. But none of it can come close to Jesus. Here's what he says. If any man thirsts, do you recognize the need that you have, that all of us are thirsty? Yes. Okay. He says, then come to me. That's the second point. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. So the, the, he, there needs to be not just a recognition of need. The second thing is there needs to be a redirection of steps. A redirection of steps. That he says, all right, you recognize the need. Are you thirsty? Good. Now we need to redirect our steps and start walking in Jesus' direction. Um, the, I, 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 as I said, I was at this conference this week. And uh, I took Pastor Mark and Joel, who's our youth pastor, uh, with, they, they came with me. And so we left Monday morning early. I was teaching Monday and Tuesday. So we, uh, we left Monday real early. And uh, I was filling up the car, and there was like a fast food place next door. And they said, hey, we're going to go pick up some breakfast so we can eat on the way. And so they said, what do you want? So I said, you know, I got like three hours of sleep the night before. So, let's, uh, so just whatever you get me, just get me a Coke with it so I can stay awake. Um, so we start driving, and we're eating our meals and all that, and then um, I go to take a sip of my Coke, and it's not Coke. It's Dr. Pepper, uh, which, uh, can I just ask, how many of you like Dr. Pepper? All right, pray for these people. How many of you, how many of you hate Dr. Pepper? And God's people said amen. Uh, I mean, Dr. Pepper tastes like medicine. That's uh, like, it's like taking Robitussin and putting a straw in. I mean, it's like essentially the same thing, um, but I mean... I wanted to kill Mark at that moment because I'm like, dude, what did you do? And he's like, it said Coke, you know. And I'm like, are you sure you pressed the right one? And he's like, I know how to work a soda fountain. And, uh, but it's like the worst thing. Even if you like the other drink, isn't it like horrible? Like if you say, oh man, this is water, great. And you drink it and it's like Sprite. Like, Ugh. I like Sprite, but I didn't want Sprite, you know, and like, because your brain wasn't really prepared for it. And, uh, and this, is, this is the thing that happens is that we redirect our, our steps um, because... Uh, not too long before Jesus stands up and he says, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It was maybe a few weeks before, Jesus was in an area called Samaria. Samaria is just north of, uh, of Israel at the time. It was actually part of Israel. Um, but uh, 
he, he's going through Samaria, which was kind of a weird thing culturally. Um, and there he meets a woman. Now, this woman had lived a pretty rough life. And one of the, we know from several things, but one of the things we know is that this woman was really an outcast because she was getting water in the middle of the day. Listen, um, if, you know, we live in Florida. We know how hot it can be in the middle of the day, right? Most people, you don't mow your lawn in the middle of the day, right? Those people need medication. Um, you mow your lawn early or you mow your lawn late. Um, getting water was a big deal. You had to open the mouth of this well. You had to di- get, so this was a pretty big deal. So people went early uh, in the morning and got water from, from the well. But this woman is going in the middle of the day, so she, basically so no one else is there when she goes. Because uh, apparently she had been rejected by those in the town for her going um, in, early in the morning and because of the lifestyle she was living. And so she goes to this well to pick up some water. And what she doesn't know is that Jesus has made an appointment with her. So Jesus sends his disciples into town to go get some food. And he sits there. And Jesus turns to her when she shows up and says, uh, can I have a drink of water? She's stunned because in that culture, men did not speak to women in public. And then Jesus says to her, hey, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd be asking me for a drink. And here's how Jesus responds. I put these verses in your notes. It says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water, this water from the well, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. You see, the water is available to everyone. But we've got to actually come to Jesus and many people think that it's like, oh man, if I come to Jesus, I'm going to get burdened with a bunch of stuff. You know, that's not the case. The false gods that we talked about earlier burden people. Jesus, what does he say? He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Listen, the idea of come to me, is one of the themes of Jesus' ministry. Eleven times in Jesus' three-year ministry, he says, come to me. When people brought their children to be blessed by him, Jesus said, let the little children come to me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When people were hungry, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. As Jesus is speaking to a crowd, he says, anyone who comes to me, I will by no means cast out or cast away. Listen, there needs to be a recognition of need that if anyone thirsts, but then there's the redirection of steps that says, let him come to me. But there's a third thing that needs to happen, and this is the third point in our outline, and that is that there needs to be reception of the offer. Reception of the offer, because he says, let him come to me and drink. You see, um, the other day, my daughter comes into our room, my five-year-old daughter, and she says to me, Papi, uh, do you need a new wallet? And I said, um, I don't think so. And she said, okay, is your wallet made of metal? And I said, no. And she says, well, Bobby, there's a wallet on TV that even if it, gets, if it gets run over by a truck, your money will be okay. And I said, um, where have you seen this? She says, oh, it's on TV right now. Come, I will show you. She grabs me by the hand, 
She walks me over and she has me sit down on the couch and she has rewound the television and has it on pause. She says, are you ready? I said, I suppose. She hits play and it's an infomercial about this, me- how many of you have heard of this metal wallet? Okay, so you're, you're familiar with what I'm talking about. It's this metal wallet and uh, it has all these things like, like and it has the part that it gets run over by a truck and then they open it and everything's still okay. You know, it's probably because everything is flat. That's why everything is okay, you know. Um, and so, like, right, nobody has, like, gumballs in the metal wallet. It's all flat stuff. Um, so, anyway, they, uh, it has that. And then it has um, this woman apparently, like, drops an entire gallon of water in her purse. Like, oh, how'd that happen? But then she pulls up the metal wallet, and everything is dry. And, uh, like, you know, as long as you don't walk around with, you know, a half gallon of water in your purse, you should be okay. Um, which, by the weight of most women's purses, you would think there is a half gallon of water in there. Um, but then, so, so she's watching, and she's like, do you see that? Do you see that? Do you see, Bobby? And then, she, and then she says, and then it gets to the end, and she's like, okay, would you like to buy one? And I'm thinking, do you get commission on this? Because she's like really like a very pushy salesman, you know, because she, she's, okay, do, and, and I'm like, Mia, I don't think I want to buy one. She says, okay, Bobby, but if your truck, if your, if your wallet gets run over by a truck, your money is not going to be okay. And I'm like, well... That's just a risk I'm going to have to take. Um, now, I tell you all of this. I tell you all of this because uh, Mia, my daughter, really does make the same point that Jesus is making. And that is, it's not just knowing what's being offered. You don't actually experience the benefits of, what, of what's being offered until you receive it. And so that's the thing that Jesus is saying. He tells the, this crowd, listen, that when you drink of him, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And that out, the result of that will be that out of his innermost being, from within him will gush forth rivers of living water. Meaning that not only will you be refreshed, but you will be a fountain of refreshment for everyone around you. That the idea, listen, the idea of coming to God to quench your spiritual thirst is, is a theme throughout the entire Bible. It starts in the book of Exodus, in, in, the, in the, the, the feast that they celebrate at the temple, this thing with the, the, the pitchers of water, when, when the people were thirsty and the water came forth, it starts there and it weaves its way all the way through. In fact, you get to the very end of the Bible, within the last three or four verses, in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, and what is it talking about? If you're thirsty, come to me. In fact, I put it in your notes. It says, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And here's the point. The point is that we were all born with a spiritual thirst that is unquenchable apart from God. That it's only in a relationship with Jesus Christ that our thirst is satisfied. That listen, that, and that is not God's way of trying to make you miserable. That is because we were created by God and life only makes sense when he's the one quenching the thirst, and our lives will never make sense without him. And it could be that you're here on a rainy Sunday because you're like the woman at the well that Jesus met. And maybe you feel like you don't fit. And maybe you feel like God wouldn't accept you if you came to him, and maybe that's what's kept you away. But some way, somehow, you're here. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus went out of his way to show this woman to reach out to her. And in the same way, our God is reaching out to you. That God wants rivers of living water. That is a uh, a Jewish phrase to talk about this this abundantly 
a wonderful life that God desires for us, that it can flow out of your life through a relationship with him. And that he wants your life to simply to explode with love and joy and peace and forgiveness and grace. Can I tell you something that's amazing to me about this story? With the woman at the well is that she wasn't looking for God. Jesus came looking for her. And maybe that's your story. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I wasn't really looking for God. And now I'm hearing and pastor, I'm connecting with what you're saying and what the Bible teaches about this because I'm thirsty. When I, uh, I was in a band before I became a Christian, and um, we, I remember very vividly this one show that we did, um, that there was about a thousand people there to see us, and uh, I remember I was sitting backstage, I was playing my bass, I played bass in this band, and I was just warming up, and I hear like this crowd that's just going crazy for us to come out, and it was just a few minutes before we went on stage, there was record label people there, because this, this was the night that these record label people were going to see us and make the offer and it was like, you know, fame and riches and all that and our, our lives were taking the trajectory that we had hoped and this was everything that I had dreamed of ever since I watched, saw some band on MTV and I thought that seems like the coolest thing in the world to do. That's what I want to do. And uh, we're ready. This is the night. And I remember having this wrestling internally and this is what I kept thinking. I kept thinking, if this is everything that I had wanted to, and I am on the precipice of the life I've always dreamed of, why do I feel so empty? Why does none of this really matter that much when it's what every musician desires and wants and hopes for and dreams of? And I'm, I'm t- about to take that step into the life that I thought I have always wanted, and it's meaningless. It just... It's like a vapor. And then, and I, I didn't get it. Shortly after that, I was visiting my brother. My brother had become a Christian a couple years earlier. And he sat with me and shared the gospel with me. And he talked about the fact that Jesus, that God became a man. That Jesus, had the, in the person of Jesus, that he lived a perfect life. And yet he was crucified for my sin and your sin, for all of our sin, that they buried him because it was game over. And yet three days later, he, re- he rose from the dead, proving that he's God, proving that he had po- the, the power that de- even death couldn't hold him. And then, not only that, but that he offers us forgiveness and eternal life. And he offers to quench the thirst that we've had our entire lives. That night, I prayed to receive Christ. I prayed a simple prayer, calling out to God. And God changed my life. And listen, I wasn't searching for God. What I found is that he was searching for me. And perhaps that's your story, that maybe you're here this morning and you say, but I haven't been really searching for God. Um, But listen, maybe he's searching for you. Listen, all of us have fallen short. None of us is perfect. We're all sinners. We all make mistakes. But listen, God loved us too much to leave us in that condition. That's why he sent his son. God left us. He didn't want to leave us in the condition of just being thirsty. But instead, he himself became what would quench our thirst. So if you're here and you say, yeah, I hear, I hear what Jesus is saying. If anyone is thirsty, I'm thirsty. 
then listen, maybe the response to that thirst is what Jesus has to say when he says, then let that person come to me and drink. And out of your innermost being will come forth rivers of living water. That God will change your life in ways that you couldn't possibly imagine. And listen, I can attest to that because that's my story. So if you say, I'm ready, I'm thirsty, and I want that thirst to be quenched, then today's your day. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you didn't leave us just with an unquenchable thirst, but instead you became the one who could quench it. And you invite us to come to you and have that thirst quenched. So God, in this moment, speak to us. In this moment, may many of us make that choice. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed as we're praying together, maybe you're here and you'd say, Pastor Bob, I'm thirsty and I want God to come into my life. If that's you, listen, I wanna pray for you. Would you simply raise your hand and I'll, and I'll pray for you? See your hands there. See hands all over this room. Blessings to you. See your hands in the back. God bless you. See some hands on the side there. God bless you. See your hands in the front. God bless you on the side. God bless you all the way in the back. God bless you. You say there is an insatiable thirst that I have that I know I was created by God and I need him to come into my life. There on the left, God bless you. Blessings in the back. I see you there. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for hands that are raised that represent hearts that are open. And Lord, I pray that as they make a decision to follow you, that you, Lord, would work in them, through them, quenching the thirst and that living water would simply flow through their lives, the rich abundance of a relationship with you that's available to all of us who come to your son, Jesus. So Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.